Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to Sips and Sensibility. This week, we're going to be talking about the 1996 adaptation of Emma starring Gwyneth Paltrow. You can find this Emma adaptation by paying for it on Amazon or with any HBO subscription. And now let's get into talking about Emma. I, for one, am very excited. But before we do that, ladies, what you sipping? Well, I am sipping on a Bon Vive, which for those who don't know is a spiked seltzer. This flavor is grapefruit. Uh, and I really need it after this long six-day work week. Hallelujah, it's the weekend. It's already your weekend, Lori? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I've been working since last Saturday. For everyone who's listening, we are recording on a Thursday night. So I, for one, still have one more day of work tomorrow. And because of that, I am sipping on a Petite Syrah, which should be no surprise to anyone, is from Trader Joe's. And it's the Petite Reserve brand. I think it was $3.99, maybe even $2.99. And I'm not going to lie. I'm already a few sips in and it it tastes like wine that costs $3. It's reminding you of college? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Julia, what are you sipping on tonight? Well, ladies, I am going with another classic tea here. I have an English breakfast tea, specifically the Tazo Awake English breakfast tea. So... That's what I'm going to be uh, holding on to tonight. I think I'm kind of trying to like usher fall in just by sheer force of will because in Birmingham, it is not very cold right now, even though it's October 8th. So let's hope this works. <laughs> I totally understand that. Yesterday, I decided to wear a sweater over my dress, which was a spaghetti strap dress. So I cannot take the sweater off at work. I was outside doing a video shoot and it was 85 degrees and I wanted to die. Oh, girl. Oh, my gosh. And I feel like that's really the struggle of fall in the South, because even if in the morning it's super cool, you can put on a sweater and feel OK. By, I'd say, 1130, you're pretty much dying in this sweltering heat. Yeah, definitely the struggle of living in the South of the USA is that it is not truly fall for quite some time. And once you think it is, it's really not. So now that we have talked about what we are sipping on, tell me, did you guys like, now, I have a pretty good idea of your answers, but did you guys like the 1996 version of Emma? Well, um, I think I'll just go ahead and go first on this one, because as you guys may remember from our introductory podcast, this specific version of Emma was my very first Jane Austen adaptation. And I tried so hard to watch it from an unbiased perspective, but it was so hard because I adore this Emma so much. And even from my quote unquote unbiased perspective, I still think it's such a great adaptation. I see the merits of having more content from the miniseries, but still I think this Emma adaptation is just so wonderfully done and just so charming and fantastic. And watching it back, it was basically no surprise to me that this is what really drew me into Jane Austen. So that's my answer. Yes. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I did really enjoy watching this one. I had seen it before, but it had been a really long time and it really is just such a beautiful adaptation. You know, I love the costuming and the hair and the sets. I just thought it was really pretty and it was visually very appealing. 
and I liked it. I like what they did with the story. It was really hard not to compare it to last week. You know, I just love that a miniseries allows you to explore so much more of the story, but I still did like this one. And I think they did a really good job of operating within that two-hour time limit. I think Julie and I might disagree some in this podcast. I did enjoy it, but uh, I don't think it was my favorite adaptation ever. I can handle you not agreeing with me, but Lori, please don't make me cry. I'm sorry. I promise I won't. Well, the critics will not be making you cry, Julia, because they did really like this movie. On Rotten Tomatoes, the 1996 Emma has an 85% critic approval, and they have a 77% audience approval. So not as high on audience as we had last week, but a little bit higher on critic, actually. And, you know, I was actually looking into a little bit of the audience opinion of this movie just to see if I was super biased or not. And it seemed like some of the reviews that were saying they didn't like this movie were more just saying they thought it was kind of boring, which was personally very offensive to me. But I feel like if you're not into period pieces, this is not going to be for you, probably. I wouldn't go as far to say it was boring, but I don't think it was the most exciting and engaging adaptation ever. Not saying it's boring. That's fair. I'll allow it. All right. Well, now that we've gotten our opinions out of the way, how was the vibe? Like, what did you think of the music, the cinematography? I know we didn't have much to say last week, but I feel like this one warrants a lot more discussion in this area. I definitely think the vibe's there. It definitely felt way more period to me, oddly, than last time. I think part of it was all of the characters seem to be doing what you normally look forward to seeing in a period piece, you know, all kind of steady. Otherwise, the vibe was just on. Good vibe. I feel like Lori's making a lot of veiled comments right now. It'll come in with the characters, don't you worry. Okay, I'm going to reiterate that I am I am scared that I am going to hold Lori's opinions against her and I'm really going to try not to do that. But I will say I agree. The vibe was on. And personally, for me, I really attributed a lot of that to the music in this film. And I looked it up, and fun fact, Rachel Portman did the soundtrack for this movie, and it actually won the Academy Award for Best Score that year, which was really cool because that was the first time a woman had ever won the Academy Award for Best Score. And to date, there have only been three women who have ever won in this category, so I thought that was really cool. But just to get a little bit more specific, there were a couple of moments where I really felt like the music really added to the scenes. Elton's proposal, first of all, I'm sure we're going to get into this more, but the music, especially at the end, was just amazing. It had kind of this like intense vibe to it and it added to the awkwardness so much. Also, when you first meet Mrs. Elton, Rachel Portman has this amazingly awkward music built in that adds to the tension in the scene as well. And then when Harriet throws out her treasures from Mr. Elton, Rachel Portman has this amazing dramatic music for this moment that is so silly. But the actress who is playing Harriet is taking it so seriously that it just makes the scene so much more comedic to me. And then finally, and I promise I'll stop gushing over Rachel Portman, but the scene in the final Knightley and Emma proposal. The music just swells at the perfect time and it's so romantic and it's exactly what you want from a Jane Austen proposal. So I'll stop gushing now, but that is what I love about the Rachel Portman music in this movie. I feel like the kind of boringness that we felt in the last one was not present in this one. They did do a lot of different things and they did a lot of things that I liked and some that I thought were really strange. At one point 
Emma and Mrs. Weston are talking to Knightley about whether or not he's interested in Jane romantically. And there's a fishbowl behind his head. They're sitting outside. There's just a fish in a bowl swimming behind him. Which I thought was one of the oddest and most wonderful things ever. I think there are actually multiple fishbowls in that scene. And I've always thought that was so weird. (laughs) I think one of my favorite additions, though, in this adaptation were there were dogs. There were dogs everywhere. And I loved it. Oh my gosh, of course you noticed the dogs. Listen, I have a line specifically written down and Knightley says it. And it's, please don't kill my dogs. And that just, it feels like a very Knightley thing to say. I think it's funny, Julia, that you noticed the music and Lori, that you noticed the dogs. Because I noticed a lot of the set pieces, like the fishbowl. And because there's this other scene where they're outside. I think it's actually when Emma is painting Harriet's portrait. And there's just this really unique lawn furniture and i just i don't know i really liked it because they could have just had they could have had it inside like the other one or they could have had just really basic and bland chairs and instead they're just these really extravagant chairs which connects to emma's character well for me yeah i think it's really funny but that you notice the set pieces because i'm not gonna lie they really didn't stand out or speak to me in any kind of a way but you know what that's why we're all three working together (laughs) everyone has a unique perspective speaking of chairs though that there was this one moment where they used the set pieces so much to their comedic advantage that i'm just gonna go ahead and mention it now because i thought it was so funny so it's the scene when emma is waiting on the invitation to the cole's party and it goes through a couple of different scenes where you're she's waiting for the invitation she's looking for the mail and then it just flashes to her sitting with her father in the living room by the fire but you can't see her because she's in a big chair with big arms that stick out really wide so she's literally hiding in the chair and then all of a sudden she just pops out and says why do they not write and it's just brilliant because the chair hides her so well and I just thought that was really funny so the set pieces Beth I can really see why those spoke to you her and Harriet also use umbrellas to avoid Miss Bates at one point. Beautiful. And I was dying. It was just too funny. I think that brings up the transitions that I think we all loved. Just the randomness of them, but also just perfectly timed transitions. Yeah, they flowed really well for me. And I am going to be talking about them later. But should we chat about the characters real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So... First, I feel like it makes sense that in the movie Emma, we will start with the character Emma. So as I'm sure you know by now, Emma is played by the illustrious and beautiful Gwyneth Paltrow, who you may know from, well, to be frank, many different films. But one of her most notable, I would say, is probably playing Pepper Potts in the Avengers series. Um, But yes, Gwyneth Paltrow. What did you think of Gwyneth Paltrow's version of Emma, ladies? One thing I will say for Emma is that I actually found out that Gwyneth Paltrow was recovering from a surgery of some kind. I don't remember exactly what it was while she was waiting for this movie to start filming. And she studied archery and horseback riding and all kinds of things to prepare her for this role. So if she reads as a very accomplished young woman, it's because she literally studied for this part, which I thought was really awesome. I also felt like that read really well because I complained about this in the last Emma. Emma didn't seem very polite. She didn't come across as very polite, but Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma seems so refined and so polite. And even though she has some of those signature sassy facial expressions, they're much more subdued and much more period, which I really loved. Yeah. And to contrast the other movie too, she seems 
much more mature. Maybe it's just that Gwyneth Paltrow kind of embodies class for me, but she carries herself so well and she is so polite and kind in this film for the most part that she just comes off as so much more mature and honestly it makes more sense why she ends up with Knightley. There's a key scene that I think really embodies what Emma really is and like what this movie was pointing out. And it's when her and Harriet go and visit like all the sick families and like she's shown, you know, helping and being generous and kind of being more of what Knightley would call her station towards the other people in the town. And like you can see her on the carriage ride. She's like calling people by name. Like she knows people. She's not just hiding in a house. I actually like her. Yes. I did not like Emma in the last one. She's just not wasn't a likable character. But in this one, I would be her friend for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Emma is so likable in this one. And I think part of that, too, has to do with her relationship with Harriet in this film. We talked about last time that we didn't love the way that relationship was portrayed. But in this version, Emma is so much more subtle in her relationship with Harriet and in the ways that she's trying to change her and in her critiques of Robert Martin. She also seems like a much more cunning person, if that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of her comments to Harriet this time around were much more, not undercut, but subtle. They're more gentle. More gentle and more subtle. Like you can, you have to read between the lines to see what she's really saying. And Harriet won't, God bless her, won't get it. But you can tell as the watcher. I will say though, you do see a little bit of Emma's immaturity in this adaptation, but it's much less frequent. So Emma occasionally will get flustered emotionally, specifically when she realizes she's in love with Knightley. She goes to Miss Taylor or, excuse me, Mrs. Weston. Who am I? <laughs> Mr. Woodhouse. Um, <laughs> but she goes to Mrs. Weston to talk to her about it. And she kind of has a little pity party with herself. And she's screaming about, I hate John. I love John. And I think that scene is so funny. But it does get the point across that even though Emma is mature and refined, in the right company, she will show that level of maybe a little bit of emotional immaturity. So ladies, let's move on to that dear friend of Emma. Let's talk about Harriet. So Harriet Smith in this adaptation was played by Toni Collette, who's actually a now very famous actress. She's in the new movie Knives Out, if y'all have seen that. She also played the mom in the horror movie Hereditary, which I have seen and would not recommend. It's horrible. I mean, she does a great job, but it is horrifying. So anyway, what did y'all think of Toni Collette's Harriet Smith? I think she's a much more engaging Harriet. She definitely doesn't seem as dumb, to be blunt. She looks like Harriet, you know, like how we were talking last time. Harriet's actress was like overly beautiful, not overly beautiful, sorry. But, you know, she was very pretty. And this one is like kind of for Harriet's character much more in line. And she's definitely not as airheaded. There's moments, but, you know, it's not like she's a total ditz and can't get anything. Like she connects the riddle you know, at the very end, like Emma isn't just like slapping her over the back of the head with the final line of it. Like Harriet does connect the dots. I feel like in this adaptation, you really see Harriet not as ditzy, but more as just helpless. She's helpless and so tenderhearted. The way she falls so head over heels in love with these men, illustrated again by that scene in the fire where she dumps all of Elton's treasures. You just see how tenderhearted she is and her handling of Emma when Emma confesses that she is getting together with Mr. Knightley or she tells her that Mr. Elton is actually in love with her and not Harriet. Harriet is so kind to Emma and you just see what a sweet heart that Harriet has. 
Well, just like last time, I have a comment to make about Harriet's hair. <laughs> She's definitely more plain in this film, but her hair, again, I'm just, I mean, last time it was the curls and this time it's the color. Lori, I know you had a shade like this in high school. What did you think about it? Oh, dear God. I am so sorry you ever had to witness this. Uh, but yeah, no, her hair was horrible. I think that's a running theme throughout this film is why? Why with the hair? <laughs> like we'll we'll get to it in a minute but frank's hair you have to look past it like you have to look past it i feel like that's what they do to harriet is make her hair look bad and to be fair i'm not anti-redhead i like redheads i'm married to one but it's just the this shade just doesn't it doesn't work well for her i mean they're obviously trying to make her look more plain and less attractive in comparison to the just gorgeous and radiant Gwyneth. That color didn't work for me and God bless her, it doesn't work for her. So ladies, let's get on to our main man, Mr. Knightley. What did you guys think of Mr. Knightley portrayed in this film by Jeremy Northam, who is also a big name. He's recently been in The Crown as Anthony Eden. So just a fun little tidbit. He cute. Yeah, he cute. That's about all I got. He pretty cute, not gonna lie. His uh, portrayal didn't really stand out to me. It was just kind of there. Like, I thought he was handsome. thought he was a good guy. But, I don't know. It was just there. There wasn't really much going on. He was pretty straight the whole time. I hate to say this because you guys know that this was my first Austin and Knightley was my first Austin man. But I will say that in rewatching, I realized that Jeremy Northam is not my favorite portrayal of Mr. Knightley. It just fell a little flat to me. And I will say, to his credit, you do see pretty much from the beginning how deeply he cares for Emma, and a lot of it is in glances that they film between the two of them. Um, there's also this one moment where Emma, she's asking him to dance, and he says, she says something about, oh, we're not brother and sister. And then she walks away and he goes, oh, Indeed, we are not. And it's. I think it's supposed to be this really sweet moment, but it was a little cringy. <laughs> oh, it was so cringy. Yeah, I think he was just very mono, mono note, one note. Sorry, that word is one note. I don't think he changed very much throughout the entire movie. You know, like you can kind of see different arcs and like growth. Last time's adaptation, you can kind of see how Knightley changed a little bit and was more forward telling Emma what was what. This one, it kind of felt like throughout the entire movie, it was just kind of, this is how he is, and he's not really doing any sort of character growth. I did actually feel like he was in love with her the whole time. Like, it seemed like the whole film, and maybe it's because they had less time, but he really seemed, he did really seem in love, but it was also the whole movie. Like, there wasn't, oh, I'm suddenly noticing that he likes Emma. It was like the whole time he's very in love with her. I would definitely agree with that. And I feel like also you can definitely see hints of Emma being in love with him far before she realizes it too. So it definitely builds the romance a little more, which I kind of commend them for. I will say though, even though it might not have been my favorite way to portray Mr. Knightley, I wonder if him seeming kind of mysterious in one note was maybe on purpose because there was one line that was pretty hilarious. Mr. Elton was asking them, um, about the riddles that Harriet and Emma are writing. And Mr. Knightley overhears and he goes, you don't ask me for any riddles. That's me paraphrasing. And Emma says, 
your entire personality is a riddle, Mr. Knightley. I thought you overqualified. And I just thought it was hilarious. I actually laughed out loud at that moment, like out loud. And it was amazing. Beautiful. I feel like if that's what they're going, he's a riddle. They achieved it. It's just not my favorite choice. I will say, though, I feel like that line, your entire personality is a riddle, really describes a lot of men. So I felt like that was just really good writing there. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) Well, so we've established that we didn't love the portrayal of Mr. Knightley, but I'm interested to hear what you guys felt about Mr. Elton, portrayed in this film by Alan Cumming, who also most notably, well, for me, it's most notably, he portrays Mr. Floop in Spy Kids. (laughs) A classic film. May I just say, he was 5,000 times much less cringy in this one and much less like creepy like he has his moments as he does but it wasn't like run see i actually wrote down elton is super creepy i feel like the creepy this time came off more funny though last time it was creepy and scary this time it was creepy and funny yes and i feel like after he goes to bath and gets married and comes back with mrs elton who i'm sure we will discuss later uh but when he comes back he's much less turn my nose up like aggressively it's more like yes he and mrs elton do not like emma and it's prevalent but it's not like offensive he's been whipped that's what you see after he comes back (laughs) yes definitely also in this adaptation the poodle hairstyle is all mrs elton it came back the poodle came back it did it came back in a major way my favorite Hands down, my favorite Mr. Elton moment in this is actually when Emma walks up and she thinks that he is about to propose to Harriet. And he says, I love, I simply love celery root. (laughs) It's so good. Oh, there was, oh my gosh, speaking of funny Elton moments, it's just Alan Cumming does such a great job. But the scene where Emma is at the Christmas party and she's trying to hear the story that Mr. Will Weston is telling about Frank. The way the scene is shot is just so beautiful. But Elton keeps coming up and tapping her on the shoulder and asking her questions just over and over. And the way it's shot, you see Emma and just his hand just... And it's so funny and so good. Oh, gosh. And I know we're going to talk about this later, but the proposal scene, too, is just... It's just golden. This is Elton adjacent. It's not quite about his character. But when they like talk about the fact that he's getting married, you just hear thunder in the background. (laughs) Yes. So good. Also, may I just say, I think my favorite Elton moment was when he sits directly in between Emma and Knightley. Just like plops himself down and you're just like, dude. (laughs) Golden. And that's when you get one of the subtle sassy Emma faces like, uh, dude, did you really just do that? (laughs) Okay. So now that we've talked about Mr. Elton... Let's go ahead and talk about Mr. Frank Churchill, who in this adaptation is portrayed by Ewan McGregor, who is most notably Lumiere in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. I'm Are just you kidding. Serious? I'm just kidding. He's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, thank goodness. Thank you. <laughs> you, really, you really had me worried there, too. I was, I've been playing this for a week. <laughs> I have to say, I have a slight obsession with Ewan McGregor. Same. I told Ben that I was going to talk about how much I loved him. And he said that that was, even though he also loves Ewan McGregor, he said that I was not. 
that he did not approve of me talking about how attractive I found him on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll do it for you. Boy looking good. Excuse the hair, like I said before. But the hair is not a good look. No, it is not. The hair is not a good look. Thankfully, he has that top hat on most of the time. <laughs> pretty much covers it. I am just in love with Frank in this adaptation. He's a great guy. Like, there's nothing wrong with him. I feel like, oh my gosh, Frank is so likable. He's so charming. And the thing that this adaptation really does is it shows you at most moments why Frank goes to Emma the way that he does. Like, at the very beginning... Frank is gossiping to Emma about Jane and Mr. Dixon and the piano and how it got there. But you see that it is clearly because he made a flub. He smiled to himself after all the ladies were leaving and didn't realize that Emma saw him. So he had to make something up. So every moment where Frank kind of flirts with Emma, it's to cover something up so nobody finds out about him and Jane. So it seems just so harmless because he's not even really flirting with her. It seems just so much more friendly. It's very clear that he likes Jane in this adaptation. Like you can you can pretty much tell and I'm so thankful for it because in the last adaptation he was just like a cocky son of a gun. I did not enjoy that like version of him. And here I was like, "Oh, thank goodness. A good guy." Yeah, there are all these tender times where he like had his arm around Jane or he was leading her somewhere and I really liked that. You know, it wasn't surprised at all when they said they were getting married this time. In fact, I was rooting for them and it made me really happy. It also shows how like kind-hearted he is when he cares for Miss and Mrs. Bates. When she talks about how he fixed the rivet in their glasses and he's so anxious about them arriving to the ball and runs to go check on them. It's just so sweet. I will say though, even though I loved Frank in this adaptation, it loses a little bit of the poignancy when Emma's complaining that he could have ruined her and broken her heart. I guess not ruined her, but broken her heart because he didn't really do anything to lead her on, in my opinion. So that's the only thing I think it lost, but I feel like it was worth it to get such a likable character. I totally agree. Yeah, it it seemed completely unfounded when she was saying that he led her on and all of that because... At least from what I saw, that did not happen in this movie. Honestly, I felt like it was her saying that to kind of appease Mrs. Woodhouse to kind of like make her feelings valid where she was kind of like, I don't feel this way, but oh, he could have broken my poor bones. I totally see that, Lori. My bone, heck. (laughs) One character that I did want to get your thoughts on just really quickly because it kind of stood out to me and I know it stood out a little bit to you guys. I wanted to ask you guys. Your thoughts on this adaptation's take on Jane, who is played by Polly Walker. Bow chicka wow wow chicka wow wow. <laughs> oh my god. She is very pretty, may I just say. She is, and she doesn't get enough screen time. That was a huge shame. I wanted to see more Jane because I loved her so much in the last one. Like, I love getting to know her. And in this one, you're just robbed of that. I feel like she comes across as a little boring, unfortunately, though, especially like the first scene that you see with her. Emma is asking her about Frank, and she says, Oh, is he agreeable? And Jane says, I found him in no way disagreeable. And I know that's her trying to not reveal anything about her relationship with Frank, but it just made her seem so boring. To be fair, I feel like she didn't really have a chance to be boring or interesting. I guess that's true. Also, speaking of that scene, real quick interjection. How abrupt was that transition? I was very confused for a moment. Half of me thought that Jane was like in a 
like a dream, like this was happening in a dream. And I actually rewound it to watch the whole thing happen again, like the whole transition sequence. And then I realized, oh, it's just a jump cut. Like it's just jumping to when Jane got there. Yeah, I remember being confused by that too. Speaking of that kind of crazy jump cut, let's jump to uh, book to movie accuracy here, folks. What was some of the like major red flags for you of like what was different between the book and movie? I think really the only thing that I noticed, and again, this is my favorite adaptation, so I don't like to see flaws. They didn't really highlight at all that Emma has never traveled. And I know that I mentioned that that was something that the other adaptation did from 2009. They really highlighted that Emma had never traveled, but this adaptation really doesn't talk about that at all. It does it barely mentions it. So um, you see this kind of moment at the beginning where Emma's painted this globe for Mrs. Weston and it has all of their little houses on it. And I think that's supposed to show us that Emma's world revolves around this little town. But other than that, we didn't really get anything about that. Honestly, I can't remember them mentioning her traveling at all. Like maybe there was a brief mention when she's talking to Mrs. Elton about Bath, but I cannot think of a concrete scene where her traveling was discussed. Yeah, there's a lot that I missed in this adaptation. Like, I think they kind of combined the visit to Mr. Knightley's house with the picnic at Box Hill. And I just really missed those scenes between, well, between Frank and Emma, because like you said, I feel like their relationship wasn't really developed at all. And then I also missed scenes between Knightley and Emma. I wanted to see that love growing more and them spending time together and maybe him chastising her a little bit more. I really missed that. Speaking of Emma and Knightley, the very badly done Emma scene didn't have as much of an impact to me. Like the little bit afterwards when he's like badly done Emma and then he's like, I have to do this to you because that's what good friends do. That line was good, but the whole scene as a whole didn't like shake me to my core. Oh, really? I actually totally disagree with you on that. I felt like Miss Bates's reaction to what Emma said made it feel so much more poignant to me. In the other adaptation you kind of have, there's a lot of joking going on. Emma gets swept up in the joking and then kind of says it offhandedly. And Miss Bates kind of leaves pretty abruptly. But in this version, there's really no joking back and forth like this. Emma's just clearly been fed up with Mr. and Mrs. Elton. And she's just tired and she just says it. And then regret. And then Miss Bates sits in it. And she keeps making excuses for her. And it's so sad. It broke my heart. And then Knightley has like a little bit of a pull on Emma's arm in that scene, which I didn't love. But his badly done kind of stuck with me a little bit more, I felt like. I did feel like Emma's comment was a lot more mean-spirited in this version. But the badly done just seemed kind of chill like he didn't really seem that upset and maybe it was because we know that he's a lot more in love with her at this point or something but he just I don't know he seemed a little bit irritated with her but it wasn't the passionate frustration that we saw in the last adaptation I think that's exactly what kind of undid that scene for me like Emma Gwyneth Paltrow like silently crying and like breaking down a little bit that was great loved that. I feel like we kind of missed that in the last version. And like the Mrs. Bates, her kind of like, oh, this is how you feel. That, great. Loved that. Really felt that. But just like nightly kind of just fell flat for me in that scene. Like you were saying, Beth, I don't think he was as expressive as he could be. And maybe that's just us watching it. 
seeing that he's in love with her the entire time compared to like last week where it was like screaming at her like why did you do this it was very very different yeah and the other difference that i saw that we really already touched on is that frank is kind of different in this version his character just isn't very flushed out and we don't see the negative side of him which i do think exists in the book i mean don't get me wrong i really loved loving him in this film but i don't know that that was super accurate so my favorite part of every episode besides of course finding out who Lori is gonna date is talking about the proposal scenes so let's get the bad one out of the way first what did you guys think of elton's proposal the bad one beth i thought this was so funny it is oh my gosh i just love this adaptations version of the scene first of all as i mentioned the music makes everything so intense at the end there but the way elton is going after her is hilarious and emma is just appalled she is appalled one of my favorite scenes is emma's kind of already rejected him and she has him they move back and forth into different seats because she keeps telling him to sit over there and finally she's turned to the side she's not looking mr elton joins her on the seat and then he comes up really close to her neck and he says allow me to and emma goes kindly refrain from the intimacy of whispering and i just it was just so golden i loved this scene so much honestly i think this was my favorite proposal of the two like i remember this one so much more distinctly than the other one and julia that was my favorite line by far like he is up in her biz and she says, get away from me, sir. Huge fan of a woman uh, standing up for themselves, for sure. Yes. One thing that I also thought was really funny, too, is he's trying to hold her hand at one point And Emma is like, no, sir, do not hold my hand. And then he keeps trying. And so you just see Gwyneth Paltrow's fist clenched. And he's just trying to hold onto her clenched fist. And I thought that was also golden. He's a man digging for something, anything. The other thing was just that their faces were so close together and it kept giving us that profile shot. Anyways, it made me uncomfortable for Emma. Like, I totally understand why she was being assertive and telling him to back off. What did you think about Knightley and Emma's proposal scene? Is it bad that I don't remember a whole lot of anything? It wasn't that memorable, to be honest. It really was, Julia. I feel like I remember this scene again because it was my first successful Austin proposal scene, but I will say it's not the best. It's not the best proposal, but two things that I really love about the scene, the music swelling at the perfect time underneath this beautiful tree. It's it's a beautiful scene. Whether or not you feel like the emotion is there, it is aesthetically so pleasing. And the other thing is I love the line where mr knightley calls emma he says my wonderful darling friend and i thought that was so sweet so i really like this scene i just thought that they were both so purely happy and honestly i'm obsessed with that like i loved the scene for just the happiness that i could feel from them i also thought the build-up to this scene was pretty funny too emma is so clearly in distress when mr knightley arrives they're walking to a certain location and she says oh dear and he's like what what's wrong and she's like oh i was just uh the, thinking about the uh the deer or the uh venison stew <laughs> yes it was one of those oops i didn't mean to say this out loud kind of moment yeah i thought that was golden but it didn't feel like this super passionate love to me i think that that's pretty true of really knightley's character he's just 
not much of a passionate guy in this film. It was like a quiet and gentle love. And I did like that, even though it was different than what I may have wanted. Did you believe that they were genuinely in love? Honestly, even though it wasn't maybe the Darcy and Lizzie passionate love, I felt like they were very truly in love. And I think it's because they had that slow build. This was friends becoming lovers kind of a thing. And I feel like the gentle and beautiful proposal that they had was fitting. I did like it. I do believe that they were in love. I think it's more, I think you can see it more because throughout the entire film, you could kind of see mainly nightly how much he loved her and cares for her. But you can also, like Julia pointed out, see those moments where Emma does like him and loves him and eventually comes to realize that. So it makes that proposal scene like sweet because you're like, oh, they both do really care for each other. But it was much like softer and gentler. Yeah, it was hard for me because it didn't really feel like this slow build to love for me because I felt like they both loved each other the whole time. And honestly, the use of friend, I know you said you liked that, but the use of friend is so much in the proposal. I didn't like it. Ben is my best friend, like hands down. He's my best friend. But if he proposed to me and kept saying friend over and over again, I I wouldn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel romantic. Am I getting friend zoned or proposed to? I'm not sure. (laughs) I definitely see where you're coming from. I did like, though, he did say, I hope to call you something infinitely more dear, Mm. referring to friend. And I did really love that part. I do like that. However, if you ever let a man propose to me and continually say friend, I'm taking back your best friend cards. (laughs) Do not let him do that. All very valid points. All right. Speaking of those two very different proposals, how about we bring it to our make it or break it moments? Ladies, what were yours? Okay. What broke this for me? was purely that there was not enough Jane Fairfax in it. I was so disappointed by that. I just really wanted more of her and more of her character. And they did cast, like you said, such a gorgeous actress. And I wanted to see her more on the screen. And I wanted to see her interact with Frank more. Now, it made the movie for me. As someone who really loves film and the editing parts of film, this is me nerding out a little bit. But the transitions were so cool. I just loved them. I, and there were so many of them. And they were so well done. And at first there were just a few. And then they did parts where there was a couple like back to back and back, back to back to back. And I loved it. Like I'm so obsessed with the transitions. I thought it was amazing. I totally agree. I thought that was such a cool and unique choice. And it added to the film so much. I would say my make it for this film would just be Gwyneth Paltrow's portrayal of Emma. She came off as so endearing and so friendly. And I just love Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma. I think her acting in this film is subtle and powerful and hilarious. So I think Gwyneth Paltrow really made this movie for me. I think I would say what broke this movie for me is just going back and seeing how much Mr. Knightley falls flat just that he's not the hero that you really want him to be. He's too subtle, almost. Yeah, I feel like my opinions are a combination of both of yours. Like for me, the make it moments are, it felt period. It felt like a period piece to me. I loved the transitions. Perfect, great comedy. What fell flat for me and what broke it were also the characters. There wasn't enough of Jane. I really didn't feel like 
as opposed to what I might say later. Didn't really feel like we got all of Frank and Knightley was very monotone. Like saving grace is like Emma and Mrs. Woodhouse. I love her in this too. Random it's and bits. I don't have like a major opinion on the film. Not my favorite, not my least favorite, but I don't know. It's kind of just like me. I just have to say this as a little bonus tidbit. I absolutely loved Gwyneth's hair. It was so beautiful. And I, I don't know that it was necessarily period, but it was just so romantic. She has gorgeous hair and every updo they did just looked incredible on her. Yeah, I think she's just stunning in anything that she does. <laughs> Woman is pretty. I mean, no one's going to lie about that. And you're right. Her hair was great. By far the best hair in this entire film. And I do have to say, when I picture Emma, I picture Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, it's time. Lori, from the 1996 version of Emma, starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Who would you date? To go ahead and break the mold, ladies and gentlemen, I am not picking Knightley. And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) I think this time I'm definitely going to have to pull for Frank. The man is just so sweet in this adaptation. And you can really tell just how much he cares for Jane. And that just oh, took my heart. He's so sweet. Yeah, Mr. Knightley's great. And, you know, he's fine. But he didn't do a whole lot for me, like at all. And Frank just, he's so sweet. And you could tell that he'd take real good care of you. Also, it doesn't hurt that he's you and McGregor, guys. Oh my gosh, I have to say, Lori, I definitely approve of your choice. I think this adaptation's version of Frank is very dateable. Thank you. I think I chose well. Okay, well, now that we have rounded out our thoughts, let's bring it all back. Ladies, how were those drinks? Lori, we'll start with you. My drink is empty, ladies and gentlemen. It is completely gone. I could tip it upside down. Bon Vive is by far one of my favorite spike seltzers. Shout out to them. You can find them at Target. Uh, however, the grapefruit flavor, not a huge fan. Uh, by far, the black cherry is pretty dead. I find cherry to be one of the most disgusting flavors, but it, without fail, is always Lori's favorite. It's so true. Well, I just threw back the last sip of my petite sirah, and it was fine. It was definitely not as good as the one I had on the first episode, which I'm not going to try and say again. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was good. It definitely seemed cheap. Like I said, I do prefer Merlot, which I haven't had in a while and, you know, honestly could really use. But this is what I had. Cracked this bottle open last night. Um, Ben and I enjoyed some wine. Actually, I should say he enjoyed a sip of wine and I finished his glass for him. So a huge red wine girl, even if Petite Syrah is not my favorite. Girl, go get some Merlot and treat yourself. You deserve it. Honestly, Lori, I do. It was a hard day at work, but I'm happy to be podcasting with you ladies. Aww. Julia, you didn't even mention your favorite line my favorite from this line movie. That my dad quotes literally all the time. I know how you like news. Oh, yes, I love news. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's a golden moment. Well, Julia, I know how you like tea. So tell me, <laughs> how is your tea this evening? Uh, well, uh, I did not finish it, but I did come very close. No surprise. So my tea was fine. Honestly, it was a little bit of disappointment. I've had the Yorkshire English breakfast tea, and I do have to say that that's my favorite. 
and the Tazo just isn't really, doesn't really cut it for me. It was a fine tea. I enjoyed it, but it leaves kind of like a weird aftertaste. So if you're looking for an English breakfast tea, I would say go the more traditional and British route, I suppose. I feel like that's a good thing to do with any type of tea, just in general. Very true. Well, ladies and hopefully some gentlemen, thank you so much for listening in to our podcast today. We really loved talking about this version of Emma and we hope you guys enjoyed listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow our Instagram page. We are at Sips and Sensibility Pod or you can like our Facebook page, which is Sips and Sensibility Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I actually think Julia has something fun to share with us this evening. Yes, I do. So every week, the day we film the Thursday before we release, we're going to have a little competition where if you share our podcast on your Instagram or Facebook, you'll be entered to win a little shout out at the end of the episode. So the winner of this week's shout out is Ariana Baxter who is on Instagram as a underscore backs to the max. So thank you, Ariana, for sharing the sips love. We all love you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Aww. However, if you love us as much as we love you, you can join us in two weeks as we continue our discussion of Emma by watching again the 1996 adaptation of emma this time featuring kate beckinsale you can find it and only find it on redbox.com where you can rent it for $1.99 or if you love it as much as we might you can buy it for ten dollars we hope you enjoyed today's podcast as much as we did making it and we will see you again very soon and until then keep on sipping